As you turn, allow me to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would illumine the text for us. That you would allow our eyes to see clearly and our ears to understand. That the words you have for us from the Apostle Paul here would penetrate our hearts. That they would affect change. That they would encourage us. That we would know of your grace this morning. Help me as I speak to speak truth and to do so in a way that is loving. So in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is uh, Straight from the Source. It's talking about the Apostle Paul and you will see why we call it that, I hope, here shortly. But before we go on, let us go back. Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. This is the area of Lystra, Derby, Antioch, Iconium, this area here where Paul was on his missionary journey. He has gone away and is now writing back to them after he has shared the word and they have had a visit from uh, some people from Jerusalem who are preaching to them the fact that you must be not only born again, but that you also must take on all of the Jewish customs, particularly that of circumcision. Uh, And so Paul... Last week we heard from Nick that he is frustrated and upset that they've so quickly turned away from the gospel of grace and that they've turned to a gospel that is Jesus plus something. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. So in verse 10, let me, allow me to read the whole passage. It's not terribly long and then we'll break it apart a little by little. Verse 10 says, For uh, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You might notice as as you're reading through this that Paul is taking a little bit of a defensive posture. Did you notice that in the text? 
This is not a proclamation uh, where, where he's just going through and telling a story. The narrative is defensive to a degree. All right? So we have to read into the text a little bit and come away from that and go, well, why is Paul being defensive? From what is Paul defending himself? This is, this is a rebuttal of some sort of claim. I, I don't know what that claim is. Well, the claim was twofold. Number one, the claim is that Paul had gotten his information straight from Jerusalem and, and he had just kind of heard from Peter and heard from James sort of what the gospel was all about. And so the information that Paul had given the Galatians was a secondhand gospel. That, that it was just kind of passed on to Paul. And, uh, and, and so then Paul is kind of sharing, I'm telling you what I heard, and they heard it from Jesus. And Paul is going to come back and refute that and go, no, 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 no. See, this little thing happened to me on a road to Damascus where the risen Christ rolled up in there and wrecked my world. Paul is a capital A apostle. He heard the gospel directly from the Messiah. Directly from Jesus. Paul ain't given no secondhand Salvation Army gospel thing. This is the real deal. Straight off the shelf. You understand? Second, Paul is defending himself from the claim by the Judaizers that what he's offering to the Galatians is not only a secondhand gospel, it's a cheap gospel. It's cheap. Paul's saying, listen, he's got this this very pleasing message for them. He's saying, you Gentiles, Christ has come to reconcile you to an eternal God. You know what you have to do to get to that God? You don't have to be anything. You don't have to do anything. Christ came to you and He was everything for you already. All you have to do is trust Christ. That's it. All you have to do is repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's it. And the people in Jer- and the Judaizers are, are saying, well, that's not exactly right. See, see, we go back to the traditions of our fathers, and, and yeah, you have to repent, and yeah, you have to believe, but you also have to be circumcised. One of us, one of us, one of us, right? You got to be in the club. You got to keep all the commands of the law and, and you got to keep all that stuff. Jesus came to, to, to provide salvation for us, sure, but the law. Well, Paul's got to write in another epistle that Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ has come to say, the law, done. I did it. You could never do it. I've done it. Guys, the law's not all bad. It's not all bad to not murder. Y'all are obviously not awake. Hello? It's not all bad to not be an adulterer. It's not all bad to honor your father and mother. It is not all bad to honor your father and mother. The law's not bad, but you can never keep it. You can never do enough to be saved by the law. Isn't that the entire point of the Old Testament? I give you a garden, and you rebel. Right? I give you a promise and you rebel. I give you a brand new world, you rebel. I give you a law to show you how holy I am and you rebel against that too. The entire point of the Old Testament is we could never do it. So Christ has come to fulfill the law. 
And so they're saying, Paul, you got a cheap gospel that that you're sharing with these Galatians. Come on, man. It's Christ plus this. And so Paul says, all right. So I, <laughs> sometimes I, I think about biblical characters a little bit differently. And like, uh, you know, uh, so I hear Paul saying like here, it's, you know, for now I'm seeking the approval of man or God. He's like, all right. So you think I'm seeking the approval of man or of God? You know, am I trying to please you guys? If I was trying to please man, look, I would not be a servant of Christ. If Paul was trying to be a people pleaser, he would never, he would never become a disciple of Christ. We're going to see in a minute. Paul is a Jew's Jew. He's got everything going for him. He's making plenty of money doing the whole like Pharisee thing, right? Like he, he's fine. He's got a cush life, really nice robes, the best sandals, right? Like it's not a bad gig for Paul. If he wanted to please people, he was already here in his career. Like, there's no reason for him to, to go for this crazy sect of people that say Jesus is the Messiah. All right. So he says, Am I trying to, if I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a follower of Christ. I want you to notice, look, I'm just an East Tennessee redneck who doesn't have a lot of formal training, but what little training I have I think is really helpful for you if you don't have training. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I urge you to look at it right now. Right now. Get a pew Bible. Don't just stare at me. Get your phone out. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 10. Okay, assuming you're with our translation or one that's close, what is the first word that you have in verse 10? Ready, go. Four. Four. Not F-O-U-R, as in one more than three, but four. All right. Words like for, or so, or therefore, which is my favorite one, because it makes a really easy thing to remember about hermeneutics. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Check it out. Anytime you see the word for, you have to ask what it's for. He's not just starting the sentence Am I now seeking the approval of man? So when we have any word, therefore, for, and so, those those are backwards arrows for us in the text. Get it? We see the word for, and it's saying, look back. There was something here. See, we're just starting a sermon today in, in, in verse 10. They would have been reading this letter as a continuous thing without numbers next to it. Paul did not put in his own verse markings. That's just for us. That just helps us, okay? He's not going, chapter 2. That'll be a good verse 6. That's long. I'm going to call that 6B. Uh, they, we, he didn't do all that, okay? So look, we see the word for. What is he talking about? In verse 9, he says, As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, if anybody's telling you something that we didn't tell you, that me, an apostle, big A, an apostle of Jesus Christ did not tell you, shame on them. And shame on you for listening. That's what he's telling the Galatians. Yo, this is not like a frou-frou unicorns and butterflies letter here. All of a sudden, he's kind of coming at it hard, right? And Nick, we talked about this last week. So he says, let them be accursed. Look, 
I'm not looking for man's approval here. I'm looking for God's approval. The message that I'm telling you is true. If I was trying to make a palatable message, something that made me super popular, I would have left this whole Jesus thing behind and said, no thanks. See, Paul, Jews loved Paul. Like, he, like I said, he was a Jew's Jew. We're going to look at this in a moment. Paul was, was not searching for man's approval. Question mark. I meant to put a question mark there, Dale, in that, in that first slide. Searching for man's approval, to which I'd say, shoot, no. No, he's not searching for man's approval. He's searching for God's. Verse 11 goes on, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. <coughs> and then, he goes into a story. See, here is a place where Paul normally, if you read his other letters, and this is what makes Galatians a little bit tough to preach. Nick and I were talking about this. In his other letters, he'll make a statement like that and then go into a theological treatise, like the case study for who Christ was or what grace is or what it is to have faith. It'll just go boom, boom, boom with all these like theological truths. And so you preach it by just reading it and going, well, there it is. right? It's pretty simple, actually, to preach some of those. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't go into a theological treatise. He goes into a testimony. He's, he's not saying, here's all the truth about what grace is. He goes, let me tell you about me. Let me just remind you who I was. You've heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul is not going to break up the party, right? He's not running in like an FBI raid. He's coming in as a terrorist. He's not coming in to just take the Christians and these small cells of churches and just go, God, break it up, break it up. It's not like chaperoning prom. Dennis Springs had prom last night, right? It's not that kind of thing. He's... He's coming in as a terrorist. He is coming to seek and kill and destroy. Why? Why is he doing that? Because he believed that Christianity was a direct assault on a holy God. He believed that this Christianity thing was a cheap way to get away from the law. That these people were, were, were totally outside of God. These Christians, they weren't keeping the law, they weren't being Jews. And so he persecuted them. But when you hear this persecution, guys, don't give Paul a break. Don't give him a break. He was a murderer. You know, when Stephen was stoned for his faith, they were giving their coats to Paul. Standing right there. Approving of the whole thing. He was a bad dude. By our, by our moral standards. But a bad dude seeming to do this for a good reason. He's not doing it just to be hateful. He's doing it because he believed it's a direct affront to the God of the Old Testament. He's so zealous 
for the traditions of his fathers. He cares so deeply about what he believes that he's willing to kill for it. Wow. <laughs> the true gospel, the true gospel can save us from ourselves. We might, we might look at Paul and, and say, what a bad guy. But that, that wickedness, that hostility, that anger, all of, that's, all of that's in our hearts. It's all there. If everybody here could see the worst of me, you'd never speak to me again. That's true. If you could see the worst of me, you'd never speak to me again. If I could see the worst of Nick, I'd never speak to him again. It's true, right? Nick's, probably, Nick's worst is probably a little better than my worst, if I were, if I were betting. But only Nick knows, knows, knows his heart. He probably thinks the same. I know he probably thinks my worst is worse than his worst, too. Uh, but that's it, guys. If, if, we could, if we could lay bare our hearts for what's really in there, it's like seeing a lung of a smoker. Well, have you ever seen that where it's just shriveled up and black and, and dry and just crumbles when, when you do an autopsy? Well, we, we think we're generally good. Allow me to assure you that you are just as bad as Paul could ever have been. And for probably less good reasons. But I want you to write this down. All right, I asked you to get out your Bible a minute ago. I'm being very taxing on you. It's a school teacher in me. There's not going to be an exam on this until, until the Bama seat. But then it's too late at that point. You can't bring your paper with you. Um, but write this down. I want you to write it on the back of your outline. I want you to find a place to write this down. No one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Whoo, come on now. Hey, AJ, come on. No one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. At our worst, at our most depraved, at our most God-hating hostility, He calls us by His grace. No one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. We are called by God's grace. The true gospel saves us from ourselves. The true gospel also saves us from empty religion. You do bad things for a good reason. Still bad things. Paul's trained by Gamaliel. He's like the, the scholar of Judaism at that time. He's zealous for the customs. He's trying to destroy this new sect of little Christs for the good of his church. His zeal for religion has blinded him to the way of salvation that God has provided. He is so zealous for the traditions of his fathers that he missed the son. And we can look at Paul and go, shame on you. He's just one of those uh, ultra-religious people who, who, who doesn't really know Jesus and love him. Y'all careful now. We could sure enough be that. 
And many of us were that. It is my belief that there are some who sit among us this morning. That there are some who sit among us this morning that are as faithful as you can be to attend. That can look just the way we're supposed to look. That can go to Sunday school. That can do all those things. You can raise money for a capital fund and not know Jesus for who he is. You can enjoy being at church and singing songs and being in fellowship and not be a regenerate believer in Christ. You could be preaching the word, singing, leading in music, teaching Sunday school, and not know Jesus for who he is. My great fear for the churches is not that we would see people who are serving who would come and go, wow, I totally missed it. My great fear is we would see people who are serving who never catch it. Examine your heart. The gospel can save us from empty religion. These things aren't bad. Paul's Paul's love for God and the way he knew it was not inherently bad. He just was so, so enslaved to the traditions of his fathers that he missed the son. (laughs) There's good news. Please write this down. Write under what I asked you to write down earlier. I'm serious, y'all. I'm serious. You need this in your life. Earlier I said no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. Some of the most spiritually mature men I know fall on their face every morning and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And these are guys I would look at and go, if I could only, if I could only end up like that, what a great spiritual life. I, oh, what, that would be incredible. Can you imagine being John Piper? Can you imagine waking up every mo- morning and being John Piper or Ligon Duncan or, or these guys? And you wake up and you just have like holiness emanating from you. Like you would catch some sort of holiness radiation just being around these guys. And they look at their own heart and they beat their breast and tear their robe and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Nick desperately needs the grace of the gospel. Wes desperately needs the grace of the gospel. Andrew sincerely, desperately needs the grace of the gospel. I'm encouraged by Jim and Al and David who have got a few more gray hairs than, than, than we do at this point as the younger pastors. I'm encouraged by these guys who just exude grace. If you were to ask for, for a descriptor about, about Jim, and this is why he's an elder. He's someone who understands the grace of God in his life and in the lives of others. And if you've been given the grace of God, you are liberal with giving it away to others. There was a, a local teacher that had a, a bad day. <clears throat> 
and ended up in the newspaper and some things just, just not good. Um, and I heard some of our teachers in, in, the, in the lounge, boy, I try to stay out of there. Any school teachers can relate? Goodness gracious. It's a brood of vipers in that place. Uh, and they're just, they're just talking about it, and I, I'm checking my mailbox, and I'm getting a thing of Cheez-Its out of the vending machine, and I'm walking out, and I go, nope, I can't let it go. And I just turned around and says, nobody wants their worst day put in the newspaper. Not me and not you. Everybody went back to class. There's no one so good, though, that they, can't res- that they don't need the grace of the gospel. We all need it. If you're a believer in Christ and you have been for 70 years, you need the grace of the gospel as much today as you ever did. The psalmist says, fill up again, Lord, the cup of my salvation. He's saying, I drank it all yesterday. I need more today. I need more grace today. And finally, the true gospel. I said finally. Look, don't put your book away. There's more. Um, just in this point. You have to have three points to have an actual sermon. I just, that's what I learned. The true gospel pursues us. Pursues. It should be pursues. Not preserves. Don't write that down. Pursues us. And not the other way around. That'd be good. Thanks, Corey. I appreciate it. I asked Corey if he'd be the water boy today. He did. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. The true gospel pursues us and not the other way around. That's that parenthetical note there Dale's going to put in there for me. Look at verse 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let me do a little bit of English work here, all right? Uh, there's, this, there's this little, he puts in like a little side note in the middle of his sentence. Let me take it out for just a second, okay? But when he who had set me apart before I was born was pleased to reveal his son to me. I'm going to take out that and who called me by his grace. Just take it out just for a minute. It's important. We're just going to leave it for a minute. He set me apart before I was born and was pleased to reveal his son to me. God had an appointed time to call Paul. You think about that? Paul might have wished that he had come to Christ earlier. Oh, man. You ever think Paul looked back on this and said, I was, al- I was alive at that time. Why was I not walking with Jesus? Why was I not sitting? Why was I not sitting at the feet of Jesus? Why was I not on the other side of the cross of Calvary? Why was I not celebrating at the empty tomb? What an idiot I was. You don't think that's possible? You don't ever look back at your 20s or in your teenage years and go, "What a moron." Come on now. <laughs> I heard like three people chuckle. Come on. As I tell my kids at school, everybody's 16 once and not everybody handles it well. Try to make good choices, you know, do your best. It doesn't go really well for anybody, guys. But you ever, he, he, he surely looked back and said, I became a believer too late. It's not the truth of the gospel. 
The truth of the gospel is this. Before God breathed out the stars, before he held the waters in the palm of his hand, he had called Paul for that time. You ready? Before God had spoken creation into existence, before a blade of grass sprung up from the earth, he knew that Andrew Hunter would move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Would be a curly-headed, gap-toothed eighth grader with glasses and braces. I did not have these good looks all the way through, as you might imagine. He knew that in 1995, he would step through Andrew's Andrew's cognitive understanding of him to get to the heart and say, you are lost and need Jesus. And he had that day, June 10th, 1995, set aside from the foundations of the world. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you came to Christ, when the Holy Spirit woke up your dead, cold body all out of the coffin, and He said, get up, he's had, He had that day appointed from the beginning of the world. You as a dead person did not choose to follow Christ. Christ came in and chose you. How do we know that? Because this book is littered with evidence to that fact. Let's look at Romans 3 for a moment. Where in verse 11, Paul is quoting the psalmist and he said, There is none who seeks God. No one seeks God. No one is on a journey to find Christ. If we were on a journey to find Christ, it would be like we have a blindfold on and we're walking around and searching. And if we bumped into him, we wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. No one seeks God. But God sought out Paul. He stepped in while Paul was on his way to seek and kill and destroy and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, Lord? Because when the call happens, it is unmistakable. When Christ calls us by His grace, it is irresistible. This is the truth that we see here. That Paul is called out of of a depraved heart that seeks to kill and destroy. He is called out of empty religion. That Paul was so bad and so good that God had to step in and say, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I love the word here. It says... He called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. The Lord sits and watches the life of Paul. And watches him be equipped. He was brilliant. He's equipped in all the ways of the Old Testament. And the Lord is watching this and and watching and grieved as Paul has missed the Messiah. But going, ah, just wait. Guys, wait, watch, watch. It's coming. It's coming. And then he goes, Yes, Lord. And I see a father who is pleased, pleased to call him out of darkness into light. Think of the pleasure that comes from an eternal God in bringing you from death to life. The gospel pursues us. It's not the other way around. That God, if you are a believer, he has sought you out 
from the foundations of the world and said, now you're mine. There's great comfort in that. Isaac Watts penned a hymn called How Sweet and Awful is the Place. Awful, A-W-E-F-U-L, not like terrible. Full of awe. And I'd like to read you the text of the first four verses. He says, How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? While thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. T'was the same love that spread the feast, that sweetly drew us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. The truth from this, from, from this verse is that there are people who hear, that there are people who will never come to the feast. They'll never enter in. That they, that they would rather starve than come. And it's also true that there are those of us who are sitting here this morning with a full bounty set in front of us of the truth of God's word. And without hearing the effectual call of the Holy Spirit, we will sit and stare at the food and die of starvation. Lord, that you would call us. That you would soften our hearts and bring dead men to life. Paul's not searching for man's approval. He's called by God's grace, and he's transformed for God's glory. <clears throat> After his conversion, Paul goes away for three years to Jerusalem to seek out Peter. There's a little side note here, and we're running like a hair short on time, and I want you all to get to lunch before the Methodists do. Um, but, but Paul says, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem, right, because he's, he's kind of telling them, uh, He's refuting again that idea that he's like getting secondhand gospel from the guys in Jerusalem, from, from Peter and James. He's saying, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem, but I went away for three years to Arabia. Don't have time to get into it right now, but you can count on like a few fingers how many times Arabia is mentioned in the Bible. It, we generally focus on the area around the Mediterranean Sea. That's mostly where we are. And Arabia is a good bit further southeast of that. Paul's going like away, away. For three years. And then he returns back to Damascus. So Paul's really making the argument here when he's saying where he went. He's going, look, I went away and I processed this, this new gospel. And I grew for three years on my own. I wasn't getting secondhand information here. So no time to stay there. But when he comes, he comes back and, and, and it goes through, he says he saw Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. I saw nobody else but James, the Lord's brother. He's like, seriously, guys, I'm telling you the truth, right, no matter what these Judaizers have told you. And he says he was still, verse 22, I was still unknown to the, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. They're shocked to hear this. And they're not going, wow, look at Paul. Isn't that awesome about Paul? 
Paul is saying that when they hear about Paul, they're going, wow, look at God. Look at what God can do. God can turn the hearts of the men who are the most opposed to Christ and turn them to be the most blessed servants of Christ in the church's history. Paul is accused of people-pleasing. And he says, I'm not trying to please, please men, I'm trying to please God, back in verse 10. And here at the end of chapter 1, we see a beautiful bookend. He's not people-pleasing, Paul is God-glorifying. Because of his faithfulness, because of his witness, because of his testimony, people see that and they don't go, wow, look at Paul. They go, wow, look at God. The works that you do, the good work you do, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. The work that you do, do they go, wow, look at Jason. Wow, look at Harry. Wow, look at Corey. Or do they see the things that you do and go, wow, look at God? Brother Harry, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'm encouraged by your emails that we get. And I see the work that God does in, has done in your life. And it causes me to say, wow, look at God. I want to encourage you in that, brother. When people see your good works, do they glorify your Father in heaven? Is that how your light shines before men? Or does your light have, have a little reflector on it right here so that as you shine your light, it can maybe, maybe shine some back? That's preaching to me. That might not have anything to do with you. But I, I, I do. Lord, help me. I want to leave you with one thing, and it's a truth that I hope you will believe. You are loved by a good father. You are fully loved. God could never love you any less than he does right now. Hear me. Look at me. God can never love you less than he loves you right now. Imagine, if you will, this is Tim Keller gives an outline as he writes through Galatians, a uh, little commentary. And he says, imagine a father watching his beloved son play baseball for the team his father coaches. He sits in the dugout and he loves his son fully and completely. If his son forgets his father's instruction and strikes out, it doesn't change his love for him or his approval of him one bit. The son is assured of his father's love regardless of his performance. The son will long to hit the home run, not for himself, not to gain his father's love, but for his father. Because he is already loved. If he doesn't know his father loves him, his efforts will be for himself to win that love. But because he knows his father already loves him, his efforts are for his father to please him. Not in, in my outline, but in my heart. I look at my son, my son. And he knows I love him. I don't think he doubts that for a minute. Stephen, do you know daddy loves you? I could never love him less. I could never love him more. He's about as full as it gets. But Stephen, because he knows I love him, begins to love the things I love. Stephen's super into golf right now because it's something he and dad can do together. Stephen's into Star Wars because dad likes to watch Star Wars movies too. I think we will find, guys, 
that if we really rest in the fact that God loves us so much, that we'll begin to love the things he loves. If we feel that assurance of his love, that we begin to love the things that God loves. You are loved by a good father. And you're called by his grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that you love us. And because you first loved us, we are able to love you. We recognize that we would never come to you on our own. And so for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we are thankful that you called us from darkness to light. May we be transformed in the way that we live and the way that we serve so that people would glorify you. If there are those that are hearing this this morning, who sit and look at the feast laid before them but have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I pray that you would awaken their hearts to see Jesus for who he is, that they would come and speak to one of the pastors, and that they would know that they are loved by a good father. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.